As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask NT Wright Anything podcast. Hello, hello, welcome along to episode 10. Yes, believe it or not, episode 10 already of the Ask NT Wright Anything podcast. I'm Justin Bradley, uh, sitting down with Tom Wright every fortnight to ask your questions. The show brought to you, of course, by Premier in partnership with SBCK and NT Wright Online. Uh, we really do appreciate it when you rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, over on the Podbean podcast app, there have been quite a few lovely comments left. Um, Pastor Don Plank said, This is a wonderful source of not only information, but encouragement along the way. Others said, Thanks so much. I learned so much with each podcast. Another says, Fantastic podcast. Really needed this. Uh, other comments, Very thoughtful and balanced. Thank you. Great podcast. And uh, this person says, it is wonderful to be able to turn to someone who has the learning, the experience and the faith to speak about the great issues and meanings of life. Thank you. A great comfort and an exciting challenge. Well, I know Tom will be blushing to hear those kinds of comments read out, but he's uh, very glad that the show is reaching so many people and uh, is a cause of encouragement for them. And today, uh, Tom will be blushing more because he's going to be tackling questions about himself. Yes, lots of you have questions about Tom about what he gets up to, what his big influences are. Uh, Today we'll be looking at things like his favourite authors, why he's an Anglican, and whether he's ever struggled with his own faith as well. So those are some of the questions we're doing on a personal edition of the podcast today. If you want more episodes, updates, or want to ask a question yourself for a future programme, do register over at askntwrite.com. And if you're registered now, you get access to bonus video content. We've just released a video, actually, of Tom talking about popular Canadian psychologist Jordan B. Peterson. So if you want to see what Tom has to say about him, go to the website and check it out in the video section. And it's not too late to enter the prize draw for one of those three signed copies of Tom's translation of Scripture, The Bible for Everyone. It's a hefty old book. Uh, Tom signed three of them for podcast listeners. He's translated the whole of the New Testament. John Goldinger has done the Old Testament. Uh, Just sign up to the newsletter and you'll be automatically put in the hat for the prize draw. And of course, you get the bonus content, the newsletter, and of course, get to ask a question if you want to. Go and sign up at askntwrite.com. Welcome to today's podcast. Uh, It is the fortnightly catch up with Tom Wright with me, Justin Briley. Uh, it's great to have you in studio you. again, Tom. Um, and today we've uh, brought together a number of questions that came in around yourself. So um, it's, I know you're a very humble person. <laughs> you don't like talking about yourself all that much, but people do want to know about Tom Wright himself. 
Uh, so are you okay with that? Sure, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> I have a friend who's writing a book on humility, and we tease him that it's going to be called Humility and How I Achieved It. <laughs> let, let me go actually to a question I was going to leave to the end, but but actually I, th- I think I'll ask at the beginning. Uh, Jim in Davis, California says, are you planning to write your autobiography or memoirs in the future? Well, um, my publishers have muttered to me that a theological autobiography mm. might be fun because I, I happen to have been, as it were, a guilty bystander in major shifts in the study of Jesus and Paul and various other things as well and resurrection and new creation and so I found that on the odd occasions I mention how I came into all that um, in lectures and so on people are actually quite interested in that mm. so it, it may be that that will happen sooner or later I doubt if a real autobiograph- autobiographical <laughs> memoir would work the, the, the trouble is that there's a huge temptation to settle old scores and that does not read well <laughs> yes yes I suppose not, it's, it's one thing real old to write a biography of Paul you know 2,000 yeah, years later yeah. for people who are still still with us that's well, a slightly well, different matter well yes <laughs> um uh, one person that they mentioned, actually, Jim specifically, says, I, I, I'm especially interested in reading about your time at Oxford with George Caird. I'm afraid the name doesn't mean a lot to me. Okay. But. George Caird, who died sadly young, he was younger when he died than I am now. He was 67 and just about to retire. He was the principal of Mansfield College. He was a great nonconformist preacher, lecturer, theologian, um, basically a biblical scholar, been a pupil of C.H. Dodd, among others. He was um, from Scottish roots originally, from the Dundee area. There is a Caird Hall in Dundee, not named after him, but it's, mm. a, it's a famous um, name up there. Um, George was a brilliant classicist who studied, in, studied in Cambridge, then came to Oxford to do his theology, and then did a doctorate. And he did a doctorate on glory in the New Testament, a wonderful piece of work which has never been published, though we're aiming now to get it published at last. Um, and he ran Mansfield College. He preached widely. He lectured. He was a brilliant New Testament lecturer. Mm. And he would come in, sweep into the room, one wore gowns in those days, and the Greek Testament would be on the thing. And as Henry Chadwick once said, it's probably upside down because he knew it by heart anyway. <laughs> um, and it was a theatrical performance. Right. And, and we'd be sitting there absolutely spellbound. Um, and then he'd finish the lecture, snap the book shut and swoosh out of the door and... <laughs> and no surprises, one of his sons is one of the most famous theatre directors of mm. our time, John Caird, who, who was one of the producers for um, Les Mis and yes. all that. Mm. But he, four children, another of whom was a concert oboist. I mean, a very, very talented family. And George was my supervisor all through my doctoral thesis. Right. So the second okay. half of the 1970s, I would go in fear and trembling to him. <laughs> um, every few weeks with something I'd written and he would say well now this is very interesting I'm, I'm not sure I agree with it but let's have a cup of tea and we'll talk about it and off we go <laughs> and I think we both changed our views but probably me more than him I right. think certainly me more than him yeah. um, but what I'm most grateful to him for was the historical approach which then came out particularly in his famous book The Language and Imagery of the Bible which is one of those life-saving books mm. which actually explains what apocalyptic language is all about. Right. That when the Bible says the sun and the moon will be darkened and the stars mm. will be falling mm. from heaven, this is not a weather forecast. Mm-hmm. You know, that, 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 that this is language about empires and, right. and great power games going on. George understood that. He was a Hebraist. He translated some of the Apocrypha for the New English Bible. I mean, he knew those texts intimately and knew how they worked mm. and would slice through the nonsense that was going on in biblical mm. scholarship. So he's a great role model, and I was privileged to co-edit a volume of essays in his memory after he died. Um, but we, how much we wished he'd lived to have them presented to him. Let's keep on the theme of 
people who have influenced you. <laughs> Paul in California asks, who have been the top two or three preachers that you have loved to listen to on a regular or semi-regular basis? One of the funny things about being ordained, and then particularly being a bishop, is that wherever you go, you're doing the preaching. <laughs> so for years, I haven't actually listened regularly to very many preachers. Mm. The church I go to now has had a succession of different clergy in the years that I've been going there, including a long interregnum where we would just get different people. So I haven't been regularly going to one person. Can I say... I would be terrified of being the minister of the church that Tom Wright attends. Fortunately, it's a, it's a tiny church. The church I attend is not much bigger than this space we're in here, and there's a congregation about 20. And there's another retired theological professor right. also in the congregation, Stuart Hall, who's a well, patristic scholar. Well, double the scholar. reason to be terrified. But, but the, 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 the church wardens and people always tell visiting professors, you know, these two are harmless. They won't, they won't bite. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a very serious point. Yes. When I go to church on Sunday, I'm an ordinary Christian needing to hear that God is a God of grace and he is for me in Jesus and, and please come and that I'm welcome too, despite everything. Um, I need that just as much as everyone else, possibly mm -hmm. more. Um, if my wife was here, she'd snort and say, certainly more. Um, <laughs> so, you know, th that's where we are. However, um, when I was young, I was very fortunate in Oxford to hear Keith Weston, who mm -hmm. died not that many years ago, K.A.A. Weston, was rector of St. Ebb's Church. Keith was a wonderful preacher, a warm-hearted good speaker. He'd done his homework. He loved exegesis. He got us to open the Bibles, but not in a dry, wooden mm. way, mm. brought it to life week after week. I also was privileged to hear some Bible expositions, and I used to get tapes of them um, from Alec Matia, who was at one stage principal of Trinity College Bristol, was an Old Testament scholar. And Alec opened the Old Testament. I, he once did a series of Bible readings in Cambridge on the whole of the book of Isaiah in, mm. I think, six or seven hour-long lectures, which opened my eyes to ways of seeing the whole flow of Scripture, um, which I've always been grateful for and always tried myself to reproduce. I did hear John Stott and Dick Lucas and people like that when I was young, um, great preachers with their own particular styles, mm. but always with that sense of the detailed attention to the text, you know, the text is the text is the text. Mm. And we're not just using it as a springboard to jump off into fairyland. Mm. Um, and, 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 but then, nor is it just a mathematical exercise. Yeah. It, it's mm. got to translate out. Mm. And so that's, that's what I, what I learned mm. from them. And I'm mm. really, really grateful for that. I mean, just sticking with the idea of, of you sitting in an average church congregation and, and listening and being able to be fed yourself i mean do you have to sort of turn down the academic in you in order to um, receive in a sense the spiritual side um, of that yes and no one never knows i mean part of the joy of listening to a sermon in the context of a worship service is that the words may be comparatively trivial comparatively you know yes that's the sort of thing that the average preacher would say but when it's hedged about with psalms and hymns and bible readings and when you're coming to the lord's table mm. um, in and through it all um, even ordinary words can mean more yes. than they mean by themselves. Preaching is funny like that. Um, and yes, for, for me, it's no, it's no trouble because the academic bit of me is the academic bit of me. But the person I am is a, yeah. as an ordinary Christian who reads the Bible every day and tries to hear what God is saying. You know. I, I seem to remember some words from C.S. Lewis that I can't quote exactly, but, but in, I can't remember exactly where they were either, but where he talked about the importance of, as Christians, him being obviously a brilliant Christian thinker, but sitting next to the, the charwoman, I think was oh, the yeah, language used yeah, in yeah, a church, yeah, yeah. and accepting that 
that God is just as much oh. present in that service oh. for her as he is for the for the a- great abs- academic. Absolutely, and and I mean one of the one of the sort of negative blessings of having been an academic for half of my working life when I was in Oxford and then in, now in St Andrews is that certainly let's say looking back. 30 or 40 years to my young days as an academic, <laughs> some of the most dysfunctional human beings I've ever known have been Oxbridge <laughs> academics. Um, and some of the most highly functional, loving, shrewd, sensitive people I've ever met left school at 14. Yes. Um, so that I have no academic snobbery, whatever. W- wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but uh, yes, super stuff. Um, <laughs> let's, let, uh, people want to know... Um, the sort of people who are influenced you as well, outside of the people you've specifically met. Um, Mario in Croatia says, what do you think about another big British giant in the, the literary scene, G.K. Chesterton and his work? Oh, yes. I haven't read everything of Chesterton's, but obviously he's a great novelist and very funny and, and quirky. Um, and his his great book, The Everlasting Man and other things like that, were attempts 100 or so years ago um, to explore the world in ways that at the end of the 19th and early 20th century people just weren't doing. Obviously, Mm. he comes from a very traditional Roman Catholic Mm. um, perspective um, and and was was kind of exuberant in his delight Mm. at being able to to say the opposite of what everyone was expecting. <laughs> and I think sometimes he overdid that. And mm. It was just his personality. Mm. I mean, I'm not an expert on him, but mm. I've al- I have always enjoyed reading yes. him. Um, and he's one of those figures, um, like Lewis himself, to whom I go back from time to time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like Lewis, where you can read some of the things they were writing 80, 90 years ago, and think, gosh, that makes perfect sense oh, yeah. today. Still, oh, yeah. there's, oh, yeah. there's so much that. Yes, I mean, uh, of course, in a sense, the human condition hasn't changed. In another sense, it mm. has. Things have moved on. But yes, if you, the, the great thinkers, it's why Plato and Aristotle mm. are still important mm. today. The great thinkers put their fingers on key things about being human, which don't change that much. Mm. And if they're using wonderful imagery to do that, like Lewis's stories or indeed Tolkien, um, then we can relate from all sorts of points of view, lots of ways in. And another writer more recently departed um, that someone wants to ask about, um, this is Ryan in Nebraska, saying, uh, Dr. Wright's emphasis on the kingdom shares many points of contact with some of the spiritual formation teachings of Dallas Willard. Mm. Is Wright familiar with Willard? And if so, what are his thoughts? What authors mm. does he find to be most insightful on the topic specifically of spiritual growth? Yes, it's interesting. I have tried to read Dallas Willard, and I suspect precisely because he and I are really quite close, um, it, it, it's a funny thing. I found it with some other writers as well that when somebody is saying similar things to me, I, I want to edit it. I want to sort of fiddle around with it and say, well, could, could we move this bit over here? And surely we're now going to need a section on such and such. And that's not a good way to receive right. a book. Yes. So I have tried to read Willard, and certainly I have a lot of friends who have told me exactly this. Mm-hmm. And indeed, when I was at that Missio Alliance conference, to my astonishment, they presented me with something called the Dallas Willard Award for, oh, right. for, for my work, which I was very proud of and <laughs> have up on a mantelpiece somewhere. Um, so, yes, I, I accept that. But but sadly, I haven't actually made great inroads. So in terms of spiritual growth and development, mm. um, I, I find two quite different sorts of sources. One the Bible itself, especially the Psalms, mm. is simply there all the time and constantly refreshing. And two, poetry, and especially I'm thinking of some of the great English Christian poets like George Herbert or John Donne, mm. um, 
or some some of the more recent ones as well, um, Manly Hopkins uh, yeah. and so on. And I find that when I go to them, um, there's a sort of sense of, ah, oh, yes, yes, of course. Mm. Thank you for putting it like that. Mm. I'd forgotten and I need that, you know. And it switches um, on the sort of the imaginative Of course, element, of yeah, course. Which is so and and th- that, that, is, that is vital. I mean, so much in our contemporary culture has treated imagination, music, metaphor, etc., as a dispensable bit of decoration around the edge, um, whereas I passionately believe that is one of the highways to the very centre. Yes. Now, in terms of personality, I would say that. I'm an, I'm an <laughs> ENFJ, and the F is, is reasonably strong. But um, for those who may not know, this is Myers-Briggs language, right, and if yes. you don't know what it means, never mind. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Whereas, of course, people who read my academic works perceive mm. me as, as a thinker rather than an intuitive th- mm. uh, feeler. Yes. But for me, the intuitive remains enormously mm. important, hence mm. music as well. Absolutely. And, and one more, if you, you'll indulge us. Sure. Um, Michael, also in California, uh, says, if you could have dinner with any person <laughs> from the 20th century, oh, wow. whom would you choose and why? It's one of those classic oh, sort of dinner party questions, isn't it? Yes, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, it's a funny thing. Um, my oldest son, who's a historian, edits a history journal, uh, the Journal of French, Modern French History, and they did a feature on him in a recent issue, and they asked him these rapid-fire questions. Mm. And one of the questions was, if you could go back to a particular point and meet mm. somebody, mm. what would it be? Mm. And he unhesitatingly said it would be in early 1940 in Normandy <laughs> um, so that he could walk into captivity with his grandfather, my gosh, father. Gosh, wow. My father was captured at the age of 19 mm. and spent five years as a POW. Mm. And my son, as a historian, a modern historian, has tuned into that. Right. Because when you said that question, my reaction was, I would love to go and spend a day with my grandfather. Actually, my mother's father, mm. who was an archdeacon in rural Northumberland, and had been around the Church of England and was um, brother-in-law of a, a archbishop and had cousins who were headmasters and goodness knows what. Mm. And I just loved to find out from him what life was really yes. like in the 30s and mm. so on and what the key issues for the church were. Yeah. Um, in, terms of, in terms of public figures, um, it mightn't be very good because we probably don't speak the same language, but <laughs> my great musical hero from early 20th century is Sibelius, the right. Finnish composer. Yes. Um, but I suspect he'd be far too busy, you know, out in the dark woods <laughs> north of Helsinki, dreaming up some wonderful <laughs> whatever. Well, um, at least you can appreciate the music he did create. Today. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. This is the Ask NT Write Anything podcast brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and NT Write Online. Now, that's the place where you can find all of Tom's online theology courses taught in video format. Now, if you've been around the church, you probably know the Lord's Prayer. Chances are you've got it memorised. But have you really thought about the prayer and why Jesus gave it as a model for talking to God? In his brand new course on the Lord's Prayer, Tom's going to be your guide through questions like the context that informs the Lord's Prayer, the deeper ideas that you may not have noticed in it, and practical ways that the Lord's Prayer can shape your daily spiritual practices. Again, podcast listeners get a massive 75% discount on getting that Lord's Prayer course. Just go to ntwriteonline.org slash ask nt write and you'll be able to get the course at 75% off 
let's talk about your own churchmanship um gavin in salt lake city says what keeps you in the anglican <laughs> tradition after all these years tom you're still an anglican it, it, that feels like saying, why are you still wearing the same skin? Isn't it wearing out now? And the answer is, yeah, it, it actually is, but it's still my skin. Um, I mean, I was born and bred up, born and bred an Anglican, and um, parents and family on both sides of the family, all Anglicans, lots of clergy, lots of active lay folk. Um, my sort of deep DNA folk memory is of reasonably good, middly Anglican things, certainly not Anglo-Catholic, certainly not evangelical, simply people who were reading their Bible, saying their prayers, singing the hymns, and thinking, now, um, there's old Mrs. Jones down the road who who needs some help with mm-hmm. such and such, mm-hmm. or um, now that we've got some spare time, should we be doing Meals on Wheels? In other words, mm-hmm. people just quietly being kingdom people in their communities. And though for myself, I prefer styles of worship a bit more um, uh, vibrant in various Mm. ways than what I grew up with. The basic Anglican liturgy is Bible, Bible, and Bible. I mean, you have Old and New Testament readings, which is really, really important. If you just Mm. have one, you Mm. forget that these readings are not abstract things. They're a narrative. Mm. How do you prepare for them, and how do you thank God for those readings? Why? By singing more bits of Bible or Mm. canticles Mm. close up like Mm. the TDM, particularly the Psalms. So the most common or garden Anglican worship has Psalms, Bible readings, and canticles, most of which are biblical themselves. Mm -hmm. And then when you turn to prayer, you are coming into God's presence as somebody who has been living in that story again. Um, I think that that, I I sort of took that for granted growing up. When I move around in other church circles, I find sometimes there are some bits of that missing. Mm. I mean, Mm. why now Mm. have we got to the point where a large swathe of contemporary Christians don't use the Psalms at all. That's mm. never happened mm. before in the history mm. of the church. And it's very dangerous. Mm. Um, and I, think, so, I think there's yeah. something of a movement. We'll, we'll probably address yeah. this a bit when we talk in another podcast about the church generally and ecclesiology and so on. But I think there is a bit of a movement in churches that have gone very, if you like, informal mm-hmm. and contemporary mm-hmm. sort of sense back towards something that's more structured i think that's so now i think that's so because i was in willow creek in chicago a few years ago and somebody said to me there you realize this has now been going for a generation Mm. and we're having to start to think about continuity and liturgy to which i said "Hmm, i come from a church that has so much continuity (laughs) in liturgy it hurts and we could do with a bit bit of of what you've got so you know could we do a deal on this do you find yourself at home in either setting whether it be a sort of fairly uh, you know exuberant praise um guitars drums or quite a formal um, you know set yeah, liturgy I, type I, of choral I, I, I would i would like the best of both i mm. love choral even song mm. i i am i've lived with that system for a long time and i'm aware that it can go stale and that it can become just a formality but because of the actual content it always has the capacity to regenerate itself the danger with the informal liturgy is that actually you rotate around the same 10 songs mm. um quite extraordinary you go yes. to the other side of the world and they're, <laughs> they're singing the exact yes, same stuff yes, they were in yes, the charismatic yes, fellowship down yes. the road and think well we, we do a bit better than yeah. that and i worry about my grandchildren growing up not knowing the great hymns mm. from wesley and mm. and watts and so mm. on that have sustained some of us throughout mm. our lives mm. um and and so it's you know it is partly the liturgy which is central to being an Anglican, um, but it's it's also the sense that 
Anglicanism at its best doesn't say we are the only pebbles on the beach. It says we are kind of sitting in the middle here, and if we can help with everything else. One of my favorite moments when I was Bishop of Durham was working on a big project where I introduced the local Roman Catholic bishop to the leader of the local house church movement. And I remember thinking, I think this is my job, actually, to to make this sort of connection. (laughs) Making introductions. You've never been seriously tempted to jump ship. No. In my second year, I think, as an undergraduate at Oxford, um, there were one or two fiery preachers I heard in the Christian Union who were urging us to get out of our corrupt structures and do something different and the Lord is doing a new thing, etc., etc. And the frustrating thing for me is that I remember feeling that as a very strong pull, and I do not now know what it was that stopped me from doing it. I, it was I simply sort of, can't remember. It was that, that was the sort of debate between John Stott and Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones wasn't that, it? That's, that's that, absolutely right. Yeah. And it was in the backwash of that. Yeah. Um, uh, I simply don't know, but because um, there were plenty of Anglicans who would say, well, at least it's the best boat to fish from. And, and, you know, and I, I, I never really liked that as an argument. It was a pragmatism of it, but still. Okay, time for one more. Um, Samuel, who's a student at Copenhagen University, says, Dear Professor Wright, have you ever struggled with a suspicion towards your own faith, thinking, I probably just believe in this because I've already betted so much of my life, meaning and identity on this horse? If so, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, that has never troubled me. Um, because I know so many people from similar backgrounds to me who went and have stayed right away from the faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was at, at school, um, a lot of the boys that I was with at a single-sex school um, had church-going parents. There was chapel um, day by day, week by week at school. And most of the people that I knew were going right away from it. Mm. So I was never tempted to think, oh, I only believe this because mm. it's what we do here. I was one of the odd ones who right. actually did who believe actually it. Who actually sort of, yeah, um, yeah, yeah it, 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 But um, and, and by the same token, I have lots and lots of good Christian friends who have come into the Christian faith from right outside. I was mm. having dinner with a student yesterday who was describing coming into the faith from a totally non-church background, right. uh, sort of mid-twenties. Mm. Um, and so it, it happens both ways. Yeah. So I don't worry too much about that. I think, um, of course, there are lots of bits and pieces of the faith as I have received it, which are as I have received it. Mm-hmm. And when you go to other parts of the world and other traditions, you think, oh, that's how they do this, my goodness, you know. <laughs> and, and why are they doing that? And, and no doubt they would think that in, in my church as well. And, and that's when you just learn to lighten up and think, this, right. this, is, this is great. I, I, I sometimes get this myself, I, you know, in the sense I'm in a different way involved in Christian ministry in the broadcasting sure. world. And, and so people do challenge me sometimes, especially the atheists and agnostics who listen to my other show, um, say, well, look, you're sort of invested in it, Justin. So, of course, you're going to always uh, be biased uh, to, to sort of see the, the arguments for God and, you know, to see that there is evidence for this and so on. And in a way, I can't deny it. Of course, I'm invested. We, none of us come to these things yes. with a yes. totally well, neutral that's, that's point of the, view, do we? That's the, um, the implicit lie underneath the implication of the question, yes. as it were, yes. um, is that every day should start with a blank slate. And now, am I going to believe it today? It's a very mm. postmodern approach. Right. To life, by yeah. the way, I'm going yeah. to invent myself again today. <laughs> what shall I do? I mean, nobody in the legal profession would say, "Am I going to think like a lawyer today?" No, of course you are. You've learned how to do it. You're doing it. You've got this job. Um, now that, that might go dead on you. And there are some people, mm. some clergy, some bishops 
whose faith, for whatever reason, does go dead. Mm. Mm. And then there is a problem because is this a dark night of the soul that I have to work through? Mm. Or have I actually totally lost the plot? Yeah, and is yeah. it going to be like that forever? Yeah. And I'm one of those odd people that, you know, I wander about. I do the wrong thing. I think the wrong thing. I say the wrong thing. Um, and I come back and I say sorry, and we start again. And God is amazingly gracious. And I, I, I never really remember a time of not being aware of the mm. presence of God. So mm. it's, it's not been a case of do I really believe this? It's, it's like, well... Do I breathe? Well, yes, yes. I do. It's, right. It's yeah. How things are. It, it, it's fascinating. Thank you so much for um, spending a bit of time answering questions <laughs> on yourself. Well, Always yes. the easiest thing to do. But. Strange. Yes. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, if you've got more questions, perhaps um, in a future podcast, we'll we'll ask a few more of uh, Tom's personal <laughs> questions and see what we can dig out from the past. Um, but uh, it's been great to have you Thank again you. for Thank you very uh, much. this week's podcast. Um, don't forget, you can send your questions in as well. AskNTWrite.com is the place to go. Do tell other people about the podcast as well. Do rate and review us. And we look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you. Just a reminder, as we close out the programme, uh, this is your last chance to win one of three signed copies of Tom's own translation of the New Testament in the Bible for everyone. Three signed copies to give away, and uh, you just need to make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter by the end of March 2019, and we'll pick from all of our subscribers, and uh, three people will be getting that Bible on their way to them. Uh, signing up also gets you access to all the bonus video content, the fortnightly newsletter, and means you can ask a question yourself too. Go to AskNTWrite.com. Dot com. Get yourself subscribed. And on the next show, as Easter approaches, we're going to be asking your questions to Tom about the resurrection. Until then, thanks for listening and see you next time. You've been listening to the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider. For more podcasts from Premier, visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts.